It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Austria's finest naturally authentic pumpkin seed oil from the Steiermark, available at organicuniverse.com. Listeners of The Organic View can receive a dollar off their purchase by using the coupon code ORGVIEW. For more promotional offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. And don't forget to check out our contest section. People often comment that DNA is to blame for both good and bad things that occur. However, that might no longer be a valid argument. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Jonathan Latham, and he's going to discuss a new article titled, Genetics is Giving Way to a New Science of Life. Dr. Latham is the co-founder and executive director of the Bioscience Resource Project and the editor of the Independent Science News website. Dr. Latham is a biologist who holds a master's degree in crop genetics and a Ph.D. in virology. He was subsequently a postdoctoral research associate in the Department of Genetics, University of Wisconsin, Madison. Prior to heading the Bioscience Resource Project, he published scientific papers in disciplines as diverse as plant ecology, plant virology, genetics, and genetic engineering. So I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Jonathan Latham. Good afternoon, sir, and welcome to the show. Hi there, June. Dr. Latham, can you take a moment and share a little bit about your work with our listeners? Uh, sure thing. So, so we run a scientific nonprofit that exists to bring information from the scientific literature, which is basically behind a paywall, to people on the outside of that paywall who are, uh, first of all, the people who finance that research, the taxpayers, and to explain that science to people in ways that scientists sometimes are unable to do or sometimes are unwilling to do. So we have, we, you know, we collect together papers and point people in the direction of interesting research, and we try to summarize and explain it. Dr. Latham, can you share with our listeners the motivation for this critique? Well, you know, the reason for doing this research is that, you know, a lot of people think of science as uh, a sort of isolated, valid truth about the world that has no interactions with the political system or the social system. There's problems with that idea because it's perfectly obvious that many scientific constructs and many scientific ideas uh, essentially exist because of the state of the politics of the countries that we live in. And so we're interested in trying to explain how much of the scientific literature, for example, in, you know, in huge areas of science, 
is actually more dominated by those political interpretations. And, you know, one of the interesting areas where politics it plays a huge part in science is genetics itself. So we have, you know, science of genetics. Adolf Hitler, for example, was a big fan of genetic research. And so the question arises, you know, why is, why is a dictator so interested in genetics when most uh, political leaders are not so interested in genetics? And so, so you start to see that there are attractions to people who have authoritarian mindsets of certain scientific ideas uh, and not uh, other ideas. And so, so this kind of thing, it doesn't prove anything, but what it shows is a, essentially a red flag for, for an idea that is essentially a scientific idea that's somehow polluted or distorted by the political systems that exist. That's very interesting. Could you take a moment and explain to our listeners exactly what DNA is? I think that would be a good starting point. Sure thing. DNA is a biological polymer. It's basically a set of sugars extended in a big long line that has the possibility of copying itself. And so what this polymer can do, it has four different bases, A, C, G, and T. And those bases basically can be manipulated in such a way that they can copy themselves. And, and because of that quality, they can form the heritable material. So DNA is a very inert chemical. So it's resistant to you know, UV light, and it doesn't get involved in chemical reactions too much. It's a very, very stable molecule compared with most molecules that exist in your body. And so what it is is kind of a librarian, if you like, that essentially preserves your, your genetic material in order that you can pass it on to the next generation. Is there a common bond between all living beings? You know, most people think of DNA as being that common bond. And it's true that, you know, we share genetic sequences with bacteria, for example, with yeast. Uh, we have genes that are recognizably the same between us. But at a deeper level, uh, there are other molecules that have more consistent, that are more similar also between ourselves and uh, some of the even oldest living beings. So we have, for example, DNA has a chemical cousin called RNA. And it's not true that DNA has, is contained by all living organisms, but RNA is contained by all living organisms. And probably RNA was the ancestral molecule to DNA. And so you have viruses and viroids, for example, as examples of organisms that don't even possess DNA. And so people like to see DNA as being fundamental to life. But, uh, you know, if we look at these other organisms, we see that uh, uh, life forms and biological existence can perfectly well exist without DNA. And even your red blood cells, for example, have, they have a tiny fraction of the normal complement of DNA. In them. They have basically no nucleus, which is where the DNA resides in your, in your cells. So you can have, like, you know, a, living, a red blood cell is a fairly lively thing, and, uh, and it can basically exist without DNA for six months or so. so. So, you know, if there is a common bond between organisms, it, it is not DNA. So what is the driving force that gives life life? In a sense, that is the big question that we're interested in tackling. And we can set some parameters, at least, to that question. So, for example, the driving force 
if you want to understand life, you have to have a temporal component to that organism, for example. So, you know, life is a process, right? And a process requires time to complete itself or to, to keep going. People often call DNA the secret of life or define life in terms of DNA. But the problem with defining life in terms of DNA is that there is no time component. And, and then when a person dies, for example, we don't measure their DNA to see whether they're dead or not. Or we can't you know, extract their DNA and create a new organism. It can't be done. And the reason is because life is much more than DNA. You know, in order to define life, for example, you need to talk about things like the boundaries of that life, the physical boundaries, like, for example, the cell membrane that surrounds it. You know, so, for example, your life, for example, it might or might not include the contents of your gut. So, for instance, your gut is isolated from the rest of your body, but is continuous with the air and the, the outside, and so your life essentially is bounded, you know, in kind of unusual places that people don't necessarily think about too well. But, uh, but life also has an energy component. So, for example, the body molecules in yourself are exchanged every few weeks. Every single one of them is different uh, a few weeks after, uh, you know, every, every few weeks. And so and another example is your body turns over. There's a primitive molecule called ATP that's used to exchange energy in cells. And, uh, and you exchange your entire body weight in that molecule every single day, right? So a human being is a very, very dynamic system, and the same with any other cell. And so to, to reduce DNA, to, uh, to reduce life rather to DNA, is very, you know, is an abuse of the concept, if you like. And that is, that is the basic idea of our article. I'm just curious, is there anything that is more complex than the human, than how human beings have been constructed? You can make good arguments for certain other mammals, for example, whales or porpoises or something like that, you know, or, or, or organisms that are bigger, that have historically been bigger than animals, like uh, elephants, for example. But not too many. But one of the, um, you know, one of the attractions of DNA to, uh, you know, the thinking of our political system is that you can construct quite complicated systems like uh, life trees that make it look as though humans are the top of those trees. You know, one of the interesting things that people did even in the early days of evolution is draw these trees in which the whole purpose of life was the development of people. But actually, you know, if you were a squid or if you were a, a, a bacteria or if you were a yeast, you could perfectly well draw those exact same relationships and come out with yeast at the top or squid at the top. And so it was a kind of conceit that people had that actually drove the, the theory of evolution in many ways, you know, it's a, for people to kind of equate it with social progress, that man was at the top and therefore that we were the, the evolution was a good thing because it produced people. And, you know, there's another answer to that question, too, is that there are organisms, you know, if you want to frame DNA as being the essence of life, there are organisms with more complex genomes and more DNA than people do, for example, 10 times more DNA than people possess. Why do you think that is? Oh, I think it's just a happenstance. I think, you know, these are things like lilies, right? Lilies have a huge amount of DNA. Oh, interesting. And I think there is, it's just a happenstance of life. You know, and it's like, you know, I think it's just a pure accident, to be honest. I mean, humans humans have less less DNA than many plants and less genes than many plants, for example. So, you know, we think of, of humans as being 
complex. But you know what? Uh, we tend to think about things like the brain or or our uh, you know the complexity of our organs. But if you think about plants, for example, if they wanted to, plants want to say we're the most interesting complex organisms on the planet, they would point to the fact that their their biochemical di- diversity is uh, is incredible, and so you have plants that have all these medicinal properties, for example, that are produced by the very, very complex biochemistry that they do, whereas the, com- the biochemistry of, of mammals is quite simple. Right? All our, the development of mammals arises from the structures and the, the organs that we have. Like it's a physical, it resides in the physical differentiation of livers from brains, from kidneys, from muscles, from from uh, bones, right? Whereas the complexity of plants re- uh, relates to their biochemical relations. So they're, well, so they're giving off, you know, strange uh, vapors and so forth that are attracting insects or repelling other insects or, you know, causing them to communicate with, they're communicating with fungi or with other trees. or And then, so they're producing this incredible mixture of chemicals that is changing all the time and we you know, we subtly perceive some of these things as being, uh, you know, the plant smell or the plant, uh, you know, doing strange activities or timing its activities according to the seasons and so forth. And they would say, well, we are the most complex organisms on the planet because we have all these interactions which follow from the fact that we can't move around. Therefore, we have to respond to all these different environmental conditions and basically cope with the place that we live in. And so, so they've evolved completely different life strategies that don't require them to have a brain in the sense that we have one, but they still respond to the environment in incredibly complex ways. Absolutely fascinating. Dr. Latham, I'd like you to talk about genetic determinism. Can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit about what the controversy is and what your critique concluded? Uh, well, what we did was, you know, we we noticed, as I sort of suggested earlier, that, you know, people use genetic determinism in all these as a scientific concept to to drive their thinking around uh, how, for example, humans respond to the environment. So, you know, there are two, uh, if, if a person gets cancer, for example, or a person gets heart disease, or a person gets Alzheimer's, there's two ways of thinking about that illness, right? Uh, that standardly uh, people do. One is that uh, this was caused by the environment that I was in. You know, I was in a city and there was pollution or I was exposed to some chemical at work or something like that. These are, I ate too much, I didn't exercise enough. These are um, essentially environmental explanations of why that person got the illness that they have. So, So, but the other alternative is you know many people will say you know I have uh, I have this illness because I have a genetic defect you know or my child has ADHD because I have a they have a genetic defect and um, they that that latter view is genetic determinism so you know when Adolf Hitler thought about the Jews for example in World War before World War Two you know he could have thought about Jewish people as being people who have a culture and you know, he doesn't like that culture, so maybe he could go about changing that culture by having them read, you know, Mein Kampf or something like that. You know, he could have changed their culture, but instead he chose to think about the Jewish people 
as being a genetically homogenous race. And so his only solution to the the Jewish existence of those people that that offended him so, you know, incorrectly and and whatnot, but his only solution to that was to exterminate them, right? So he had a genetic determinist mindset, right? And so our, you know, when we, as we make our journeys through life, basically we often have choices of whether to adopt a genetic determinist explanation of what's happened. You know, this person did a bad thing because they're a bad person because they have some kind of genetic makeup, or this person did a bad thing because they made a bad choice, right? So so we have these decisions to make on a absolutely daily basis of uh, how to understand our lives. And, the you know, many, many people, especially these days, because of science, because you read about genetic determinist explanations in the New York Times or on Fox News or, you know, all these different places in books and so forth, because people are reading these genetic determinist explanations of what drives people's behavior, what drives people's uh, health, what drives people's problems and so forth, then people are increasingly using these genetic determinist explanations as to explain their worlds, right? And our article basically is to try to look at those explanations and say, are they valid in any meaningful way? And the basic answer is almost always they're not valid explanations. They're basically based on pseudoscience. And, you know, for the most part, the way stronger evidence is that people's illnesses, for example, are derived from their environment and so forth. But what you see is, you know, if you're a biologist who understands genetics and so forth, you see institutions and organizations and and uh, individuals pushing genetic determinist explanations for what is going on. So you see them overwhelming the public discourse, you know. And so, so, and the basic reason, uh, in many cases, is that people, these institutions, are benefiting from these genetic determinist explanations because it basically gets them off the hook, right? If they're the polluter, and people believe that. Alzheimer's comes from from their uh, inside themselves, basically is their genetics at work, then they're not going to be looking for explanations outside of it. Right? If, they, if a person gets breast cancer and thinks that they have the BRAC1 gene, or even if they don't have it, but there's some kind of genetic component to that illness, they're going to think, well, I don't need to worry about you know, the fact that I was dry cleaning my clothes or the fact that I was... Uh, you know, swimming and there was chlorine in the water or or that our local water supply is polluted and so forth because that's not the explanation for my illness. And so there's huge politics that are bound up with this, the whole idea of genetic determinism. And that, you know, the case of, of toxic chemicals and the case of breast cancer is only one small part of that discussion. But basically DNA, the whole elevation of DNA to this fundamental life principle which, you know, as I point out in the article, is not a correct scientific interpretation of DNA. The whole elevation of DNA to that concept of life-defining force or essence or whatever drives this discussion of, the, of whether, you know, you become ill or whether you have mental health problems or whether your society is breaking down because of, uh, for what, you know, asking the question, what reason is that? What it sounds like to me is that it's not a political thing. It's really a monetary thing in the sense that if you think about how many people are told, well, 
if your mother has this, your father has this, all, all sorts of things like that, then you know this is why this is happening. And it's interesting mm-hmm. because I remember reading a book by Dr. Sandra Steingraber called Living Downstream. And mm-hmm. Dr. Steingraber goes into detail about her own personal journey, and I do believe she had gallbladder cancer. And she, mm-hmm. when did, she yeah. went to the doctor, uh, spent to numerous doctors, but when she went to this one particular doctor, they did an intake and asked her about her family history. And uh, the list of questions, does your mother have cancer, father have cancer, brother, sister, cu- cousin, you know, the whole list of family members. And she said yes, but then the doctor kind of came to that conclusion that it, it's something genetic and then she said by the way I'm adopted and that just it just yeah. destroyed yeah. the whole argument for mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. a, a genetic it's mm-hmm. genetic mm-hmm. so you know that's that's something yeah. that came to mind my next question is what does this yeah. do as far as darwinism well you know there are you know even darwin himself accepted there are other inputs to the uh, to the construction of organisms than DNA, right? So, so basically, what happened with Darwinism is Darwin didn't, you know, he didn't know about DNA, right? He knew that there was some kind of inherited matter, and that's about all he knew. He called them gemmules, and 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 he knew that you know, like living organisms reproduce other living organisms that roughly resemble themselves, right? That was his basic observation. And what happened with Darwinism is it was basically taken over by uh, people who were genetic determinists, right? They decided, uh, and creating this thing called the modern synthesis of Darwinism, which was combined with, with what we understand about genetics, to be genetics is the whole explanation of Darwinism. And what our critique points out is that, you know, there are many many aspects of living organisms that are very far removed from being genetically determined. And one of the examples we use is trees. For example, trees uh, have uh, basically tiny cells inside them that draw water up from the ground, right? So a tree can extract from relatively dry ground, unsaturated ground, can extract water hundreds of feet up into the air. And without using any energy at all, right? It costs the tree nothing to do that. And what essentially the tree is doing is boiling off water at its at its root, at its leaves, uh, say 100 feet up in the air, and uh, and extracting that from the ground by basically making use of the forces that exist that hold water molecules together. So this is uh, what we call an emergent property of trees, that they have basically honed a system uh, of which exists anyway you know if you if you uh, water will evaporate off the surface of soil even if it's not saturated and but that what the trees have done is perfect that system and and basically what DNA is contributing to that is it is helping the perfection of a system that never of a set of physical forces if you like that nevertheless existed long before DNA ever did right and that before the tree ever did. But it's basically the, tree, the DNA, and you can think of the DNA as leveraging the biophysical 
faucets that exist anyway in in physical systems, you know, just that exist between soil particles. And a tree is a glorified set of soil particles that can lift water a very long distance, basically by not providing any gaps, right? As long as there's a continuous uh, space, a continuous uh, surface on which that water can travel, then the tree can lift the water up to the highest point, to 100 feet or so. So basically, DNA is leveraging the the um, the the physical uh, attributes that pre-exist, right? And Darwin left room for that. But what people who followed Darwin uh, did is basically close down that avenue of discussion, right? And what we tried to do in the article is in the article is bring that issue back. And there are some people, you know, for example, you know, we came across whole bodies of, of um, evolutionary research where people have also tried to do that, but they don't uh, necessarily tie in with all the things that, that we do. But there are there is a school of evolutionary thought, which is very, you know, which is small, right? But it does exist, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that argument. But they've been sidelined by the mainstream genetic determinists, and that is... You know, part of that is the politics of science and the whole story of, you know, that I've been sort of trying to relate of why is it that that science is always mainstreaming, uh, mainstreaming genetic determinism and ignoring these alternative explanations, right? Why do these alternative explanations, which are 100% scientifically valid, why do they get ignored by the by the mainstream? And that is kind of the, you know, I'm going to write, a, I have already written, but I'm going to publish uh, in in a, in a week or two uh, the follow-up story, which is basically the explanation of why why uh, biology is so fixated on genetic determinism. You know, and this applies to Darwinism, but it also applies to all these other areas of biology. Well, Dr. Latham, I hope that you come back. You, you, you can make some time to come back on the show because I would really love to have a discussion about that research. I think that's just so incredibly interesting, and I know so many of my listeners feel the same. Dr. Latham, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to come on the show to talk about this very important subject. It's so fascinating, and it's interesting how this is something that affects everybody in society today. It's oh. not just about science. It's about how it affects our lives. It affects our medical treatment, the treatment of other people, even the environment that we live in, all sorts of things. And it, it, it's just very fascinating. So, well, you're welcome, June. And, and there is a lot to discuss. And I'd be very happy to come back and, and elaborate on some of these questions. Yep. Dr. Latham, could you share with our listeners your website and any other information as far as future research projects that you might have? Uh, well, you know, our website is called Independent Science News, and that's all one word, uh, .org, and uh, it's a nonprofit uh, that we run. And uh, what we, um, you know, there is, we do also have, we have also done critiques of regulatory systems of the approval of toxic chemicals, for example. And so we, you know, we range quite widely over science, providing, uh, you know, basically fodder for people who are concerned about toxic pollution, for example, about the release of GMOs, to understand those systems better so that 
you know, essentially, if you want to, if a person wants to critique these uh, regimes that we use to approve toxic chemicals and so forth, then uh, we provide opportunities for people to do that on a sound scientific basis, just as we, you know, we did with genetic determinism. We're trying to get to the real bottom of science to so that people can relate it ultimately to their daily lives and their health and so forth. And so, you know, we hope that there will be the basis for renewal of science, which is, you know, essentially, you know, way less politicized than the science we have at the moment. So, but yeah, we have, it's a shoestring nonprofit that we run that has a big impact on some people's thinking, but is run, you know, we, you know, donations are very welcome. Thank you very much. And folks, please check out the companion article, which will appear on theorganicview.com. Thank you for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.